in Luke chapter 14, <clears throat> we have one of those stories that drives home a very simple principle, very easy to understand, comprehend, and begin to absorb into our lives. And that is the principle of letting humility guide who we are and how we live our lives. And the, the interesting part is humility oftentimes is a subject we tend to avoid because it feels difficult. It feels like I've got to give up something of myself. It, it feels like I make myself excessively vulnerable. And so our world and our culture tends to want us to drive, tends to want us to move to greater boldness, um, even greater arrogance to protect ourselves and to preserve ourselves. And to put ourselves out is a frightening experience. And so we need to acknowledge that right up front. It's difficult and it's hard. But humility actually creates the right kind of vulnerability. It brings us into relationship where people want to be with us and where the potential for exaltation takes place. In fact, we'll find in Luke chapter 14, as we look at this parable, we'll find where Jesus gives us a principle that says... Anyone who humbles themselves can be and will be exalted. And the, the reverse of that principle as well. Anyone who exalts themselves, positions themselves higher, will ultimately be humbled. And so we begin to look at this story and we begin to think about how do I live an humble life? How do I, how do I live with humility that then reflects the glory of God? And I think one of the primary things that we need to grasp, we need to comprehend when we talk about humility is the realization and the understanding humility becomes possible for a believer because our identity is not in ourselves. Our identity is in Jesus. We watched Heidi get baptized this morning. We watched Heidi's testimony. She talked about asking Jesus to be in her life and for him to be there and be an encouragement and, and be a strength. From that moment forward, even as a child, Heidi began and has started a process where she will identify herself as a follower of Christ which is a secure identity. We can track identity through scripture and see how from the very beginning, from, from beyond our understanding of the beginning, from prior to conception, God knows us, understands us, plans for us. And those plans are plans, as Jeremiah prophesied, that have hope and, and have a future and have always the promise of his accompaniment, of his presence, of his friendship, of his time with us. So that our identity is secure before we are even a person, before we're even created. Because God has designed us and created us exactly the way he wants us to be. And that identity oftentimes goes through difficulties. We make the decision to sin. We make the decision and we follow up on those decisions to do things that are contrary to the holiness of God, contrary to that original design. Sin is against God, it's against other people, but it's also against us. It damages our identity because we now have deviated from that original design. We have perverted the original design with sin. But Jesus even makes that possible because when we have destroyed the original design, Jesus came to earth, he lived, he walked here, he did miracles, he demonstrated that he was the son of God, demonstrated that he had power over our illnesses and our sicknesses and most importantly over our death 
and over our sin so that we could be forgiven and know that we're looking towards an eternal life with him so that that original identity can be reinitiated and recreated into our lives. So that now as a follower of Christ, my identity stays exactly where God intended it in the first place, in relationship with him, and it is secure throughout all eternity. It's secure in any and every situation. Now, that means situations aren't hard. We understand that. There are times when we're at work, circumstances fall out in such a way that it's difficult, we're unsure of ourselves, people insult us or we're offended or we're hurt or there's any number of things that can happen to us. We have those experiences at school, we have those experiences when we're, when we're in the environment of our schooling and when we're in our young age and, and those activities. In fact, we're probably in many ways the most vulnerable at that time because everybody likes to pick on people and bully people and, and there's difficulties and there's like this constant battle against our identity. But Christ ultimately holds that identity. And knowing that we're secure in him gives us the ability to even traverse those difficult and those hard moments in our life. We can lose identity. I remember going through counseling at a very young age and, and as I stepped into counseling, my counselor warned me. He said, as you go through counseling, we're going to deconstruct things that have been built up things that were built up partially from that sinful life before I knew Christ, things that Jesus wants to rebuild into my life according to that original design. And he, he told me, he said, there's going to be a period of time in which you're not sure who you are. He said, in that period of time, keep your faith, stay focused on Jesus and know Know that he has your security. He has your identity. He knows exactly who you are you're going through a process of deconstruction to reconstruct in your life who he knows you already are. Because uh, the constructs I had built, the tapes that I listened to, were, were incorrect. And they weren't a part of God's plan. And that needed to be reshifted. And that needed to be rebuilt. So even in, a, in those moments where we seem completely unanchored, we have to remind ourselves, we may be unanchored in those moments, but Christ isn't, God isn't, and he knows who we are. You go through a difficult time like a loss of a very close friend, a loss of a parent, loss of a spouse, loss of a child, any kind of significant loss, you can begin to feel like you're losing identity. You can feel unmoored again. You can feel unanchored in those moments. But Jesus is never unanchored. And all of this is important because we have to remind ourselves if we're going to be humble in any of our activities, if we're going to strive to let humility guide and characterize us, then we need to be secure in who we are. If it's, if it's just an emotional activity, then the vulnerability is the wrong kind of vulnerability. It's the kind that can damage and hurt. But if it's secure in Christ, then it's the right kind. Because our humility actually comes out of our confidence of who we are. And that's the scenario in which Jesus finds himself in Luke chapter 14. An environment where people have built the wrong constructs. In an environment where people have built the wrong ideas of success. And unfortunately, even success spiritually. 
because they have developed a religious society. They have developed a religious construct that says, you do this, this, and this, and you receive this, this, and this, and, and you reflect this, this, and this, then God's going to love you. They've got it backwards. God, knowing God loves you is the basic fundamental element. These other things become characteristic of that only when you have that in the beginning. Those are evidences of a change that has happened as a result of God, not evidences of something you've accomplished or achieved. And this is huge. They were trying to accomplish and achieve spirituality. When God wanted to instigate and invite them into a relationship where he would change spirituality. And so humility wasn't a part of their construct because the goal was to demonstrate and to prove beyond any shadow of a doubt, I'm the most spiritual, I'm the most important person in this religious organization and institution. So in Luke chapter 14, this is where Jesus tells his story and this is where we find that situation taking place and unfolding. It's a group of religious leaders. In verse one, it says that one Sabbath, their holy day, the day of rest, the day spent to focus upon God and to, to recalibrate your life had been skewed and perverted over time. When they came to that house to eat together with one of the leading Pharisees, they were all watching him closely, not knowing, as is often the case, that Jesus was watching them. And so we pick up the story, we're inside this Pharisee's house, we're with a lot of people who are convinced they are perfect, they are convinced they are the best, they are convinced that they are God's friend, they are convinced that God should be happy that they're on his side. And that's what's taking place and in verse seven, Jesus starts the parable and we're told the motive for the parable. He's seen those who have been invited and he notices how they would choose the best places for themselves. A simple scenario, we've all experienced it. You've walked into committee rooms, you've walked into boardrooms, you've walked into classrooms, you've walked into churches and people jockey and posture themselves out of their presumptuousness. Let me find the best place. Let me find the best place to be seen or potentially not be seen. But you're posturing yourself and Jesus finds them doing this and that's what motivates his story because he's watching them move and jockey and manipulate to posture themselves and out of their presumptuousness to demonstrate I have significance, I have importance. And that's why the identity piece is huge. The story starts off in verse eight. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, the greatest celebration in that culture, when you're invited to this wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come to you and say, give your place to this man and then in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. See, the presumptuousness assumes that I'm going to move to the best place in the banquet hall or in the, at the mealtime, which was typically in that culture to the right or to the immediate left of the host. And so without invitation, without direction, 
You walk into the room and you begin to move, maneuver yourself and you find that spot and you decide, I will sit here. But the scenario that unfolds that Jesus reminds us to be cautious about is a scenario in which that wasn't the place designated for you. And so now all that you've moved in presumption is going to be destroyed in humiliation because the host is going to come to you and say, look, I'm... I'm glad you sat here, I'm I'm glad you're here, Um, but I'm sorry this seat was reserved. And now you have to get up, but now the rest of the banquet has gathered and the seats are filled and everybody's avoided avoided the, the, the least discretionary spot and you're going to have to get up and move. The presumptuousness of that moment actually collapses everything you attempted to do. This is why you have to be secure. This is why you have to know who you are in advance. Because the goal isn't your self-exaltation. The goal isn't your self-evidence of who you are or your relationship to the host. It's knowing who you are that actually gives you the confidence to not attempt to be presumptuous and take the best spot and receive the most honor. It's humility that's founded in the bedrock of knowing what God is doing in your life. And so you don't have to jockey for position. You don't have to walk into a room and figure out what's the most strategic spot to be seen. What's the most strategic spot to have my power leverage over the conversation? What's the most strategic spot for me to be able to be the most frequent part of the conversation? And that's so hard for most of us. Like I said, some will do the opposite, but even that is caught up and swept up into this humility that's based upon the confidence of what God's doing in you and through you and who you are in God's eyes, not who you are in the the people's and the public's eye. In those moments, you could even jockey in position to be in the least spot, and yet, Even that is a form of false humility, not true humility, because are you prepared in that moment to do what God wants you to do? God may have a plan for you, accomplishment for you, something that you need to leverage on his behalf in that moment. Humility walks with confidence that doesn't need obvious and visible stature. It doesn't need presumption. We don't have to function that way. There is a sense of propriety and Jesus describes that in verse 10. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. And this is simple, this is easy. I'm guessing every single person in this room, every person watching our live stream right now, we've experienced those moments. You take the least honored seat or you take a less honored position and as you're in that position, you move into that position, then the host comes, then the chairman comes, then the teacher comes, whoever's in charge of that venue, that environment, that moment, they come and you actually receive exaltation that you didn't manipulate because they say, okay, look, I I think I wanna hear from you today if you're in a meeting. I think I want 
to be able to see you. I want you to be in relationship with me. And they move you to the more honored strategic spot. It, it functions as an act of propriety. It's making the decision in advance. I am not going to seek the best. I am not going to seek the place of honor. I'm not going to seek the recognition. I'm not going to seek all the intention, but I'm going to sit back. And here's an amazing thing I learned. I struggled with this for years. Um, it was, it's always been hard um, by, by nature and probably by sinfulness. I always sought out the best spot and always sought out the most honored spot and always thought out, sought out the highest leverage spot and always thought to make sure I was the dominant voice in the room. Only to find out that when I got things correct and I got things straight in my head and in my heart and in my mind and in my propriety and my actions, because now we're not just talking about what we're thinking, we're talking about how we act, how we move in that moment, that if I didn't seek to manipulate it myself, oftentimes God would grant the opportunity and open the opportunity because what has happened, humility prepares us to be used by him to be an influencer. And I, I learned oftentimes that by saying less, I could actually say more. It wasn't the amount, it wasn't the quantity, it was the quality, but the humility secured in my identity and who Jesus is allowed it to be quality. Because the problem is if I'm operating under a presumption and even if my actions are not proprietary, I, they are by nature, proprietary is not the right word, but it, we'll sort that out later. Um, if, I'm, if I'm moving and manipulating, then I'm not in a mental place, I'm not in a spiritual place to be used by God. And here, I'm, I'm moving to a more proverbial sense of what Jesus is saying in this story. I want us to function in such a way that when we are asked to speak, when we are asked to move into that place of prominence, when we have that moment of influence, the influence is for the cause of Christ, not for the cause of James. The reality was I didn't want to leave one of those board meetings with people thinking, I'm so glad James is on this board. I'm so glad James spoke today. I'm so glad James was in attendance. I don't want them thinking that. I did, but humility grounded in who Jesus is in my life allows you to change that, allowed me to change that to where what I wanted them thinking was what James said about Jesus was important. How James influences me about Christ is important. Humility is so critical to the Christian because just like our mission statement says, if we're inviting others into a life-changing relationship with Jesus, one conversation at a time, humility is what allows the conversation to happen. The reality is if most of us are honest with ourselves, we don't like bold, we don't like arrogant, we don't like egotistical people. Part of the reason we don't like them is because most ego is a reflection of insecurity. If I know who I am in Christ, then I have nothing to prove. I can fail completely today, and everybody can think, oh my gosh, 
How'd that guy ever get that job? But I still know who I am. I can fail a task, but not change who I am at the core, which allows me, even if I fail a task, to actually accomplish it to a greater degree further down the road because I am dependent upon not my ability, not my own strength, not my manipulation, not my, not my presumptuousness, but I am dependent upon, out of humility, my relationship with Christ, my strength in Christ, through which, as Paul says so clearly, I can do all things. Which is why Jesus gives the principle. And it's a great principle. This is one of those verses worth memorizing. It's one of those verses I memorize to work on these areas in my life. In verse 11, so it's Luke 14, verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Not because God's cruel, not because God's mean and he just wants to bring people down. But we are not usable when we're so full of ourselves. Humility allows us to be an instrument that God can use. Use any illustration you've ever heard or you ever can think of. The truth is we want to be pliable and usable in God's hands, not our own. And humility allows that. And so by humbling myself, and I can do that out of my security, out of my confidence, because I know who I am in Christ. I know exactly where I stand. I know exactly how this whole story ends and where it's going to complete and whose home I'm going to be spending eternity in. I got all that figured out. I can now function, operate, act, do activity with humility. And now God can bring this principle in and move us into the position he wants to use us for, which is the highest leverage for his kingdom. The principle validates that I have a better opportunity of inviting people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus if I approach it from humility. Arrogance does very little for anybody. We 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 don't even like arrogant people. I mean, maybe there's somebody, but most of us. Arrogant people, I, I'm speaking mostly from the standpoint of the arrogant person. Arrogant people don't like other arrogant people. They're a threat. So we don't like that either. Humility benefits ultimately the leverage God wants. And that's why Jesus then has this statement kind of a practice, the propriety just being lived out in day in and day out activity. He also said in verse 12, he also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, and blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is, this is huge. And this is huge and tied to the identity and the confidence of who we are in Christ. Our reward is not in that moment. So even if we are elevated, even if we humble ourselves and are exalted into a position of leadership, into a position of public prominence, then we have leverage for the kingdom of God. It still wasn't for us to receive reciprocal action or remuneration from the people that we now have leverage with. We still live in humility and part of that humility is we don't host with the intent to be repaid. Humans, by sinful nature, 
Not by the way God created us, but by the way we distorted that creation with our sin and the generations before us and then when we sin and we'll pass that on to generations after us. By nature, what sin does is make us selfish people. And so we want to do what's best for me. And so now I move into a position of leadership. I move into a position where there's leverage for the kingdom of God. And the greatest temptation is to now want to start manipulating the crowd, manipulating the positions of other people so that it might benefit me. And the conversation was never supposed to be about me. It was always supposed to be about Jesus. And so Jesus says, look, don't, don't switch it. When you finally have the, the opportunity to set the table, don't switch it and just do that which you're going to benefit from most. Humility reflects a willingness for us to seek the betterment of other people, whether we're reciprocated or not, whether we're rewarded or not. This isn't, this isn't how we're going to get ahead because we're already ahead. That, that phrase that Jesus uses in the last verse there, you will, be pre, you will be repaid, you'll be rewarded, compensated, whatever word you want to use, however synonym you want to put in that place, at the resurrection of the righteous. That is a guarantee that is already in place. And so as much as I may want it and as much as I may thirst for it, I don't need the props now. And I don't need the reciprocal payback from people around me. I can practice my life in humility because I know the final banquet, the final award ceremony is already secure. I love the way Paul said it as he was talking to young Timothy. And I'm gonna, as we think about that, you're talking about an older pastor with a younger pastor. He's giving him advice. Paul's at the end of his life. And he he tells Timothy many of the things just like this on just how to live, how to lead, how to, how to organize his life. But he comes to a conclusion and he says, look, there is in store for me a crown of righteousness that I will receive on that day. His anticipation was because he had already fought the fight. He had kept the faith. And he had run and completed the race. Paul knew who he was in the resurrection of the righteous. He didn't need anybody to reciprocate now and in this moment because in humility he could wait for that moment when there was in store for him a crown of righteousness. And here's the really good news. Paul wasn't just talking about that as a super apostle. He said, not only is there in store for me a crown of righteousness, but for all who love the Lord and have done his commands and have done his bidding. Paul recognized it wasn't just him, but all believers, all believers at all time, when we are finally in God's presence, we are going to be so rewarded and so filled with the joy of that moment 
that honestly everything we could have received here pales in comparison. I'm gonna invite our band back up. We're gonna worship for a minute. I know it, it may be a little bit confusing. To have humility, you have to have confidence. But the confidence isn't in what we can do, what we can accomplish, or how we can position ourselves. It is a confidence in the God who has changed our lives and what he can do to use us for his purposes and how he will reward us in that day. Truly humble people are some of the most confident people in the world because they know who they are. And we know who we are in the sight of God.